Topical cream, a pod listener's dream, unfucking the news and current events. Topical cream, yeah, you know what I mean. A quarter of an hour gets you our two cents. Topical cream. God, I still fucking hate that name. In June of 1932, Leon Trotsky penned an article from Exile for the radical publication The Militant in defense of Rosa Luxemburg. Forever trolling Joseph Stalin, his former revolutionary co-conspirator turned enemy, Trotsky was responding to Stalin's tendency to rewrite history where other revolutionaries were concerned, at least. We can learn a lot from history, and even more from attempts to revise it. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is one of the country's most famous politicians. Scratch that. One of the most famous people who happens to be a politician. She was called an effing bitch on the Capitol steps by a colleague, has been continuously ridiculed by right-wing pundits, has received multiple death threats, and was even stalked by Marjorie Taylor Greene before MTG was even elected. Some of this is par for the course. Much of it stinks of misogyny, bigotry, and racism. White women don't receive the same treatment even from the opposition. White men certainly don't. This type of vituperative behavior is usually reserved for public officials of color, and mostly for women of color. But we know this. All of this is a pretty heavy lift for the youngest woman ever elected to Congress. Out of the 435 members of the House of Representatives, why AOC? Why the fixation on the right? It's not like she flipped a district red to blue. Her vote doesn't count more than the other 434 members. And New York City has produced its fair share of progressive politicians over the years. But this one's easy to answer. She's smart, media savvy, empathetic, dynamic, fearless, prepared, and beautiful. All of the characteristics prior to that last one are enough to drive any opponent nuts, but in our shallow media culture, it's the fact that she happens to be stunning that makes her the bete noir of white men on the right in particular. In fact, we did an early podcast on the obsession with AOC among white men on the right. I love this. They're all like, You are a thoughtless turd ruining America. I invite you to come on my show and debate me. You with your red lipstick and fiery Latina blood. I've watched that video of you dancing in college a thousand times. In slow motion. Alone on my laptop when my wife is asleep. So I think you should put on your high heels. Take that hair out of a bun. And stomp on my dick on live television. Because this talk show host has been a very naughty boy. Oh, mommy. That's just who we are as a country, and to ignore it is silly. Otherwise, the right would be talking just as much about Earl Blumenauer. Wait, who? Ah, Earl Blumenauer. Blumie's votes and ideology ranking line up almost identically with AOC, but he charts higher on GovTrack's leadership access because of his tenure and his number of sponsored measures. He too is smart engaging, fearless, 
And he's been calling for the legalization of marijuana since the 90s. Just kidding. I know you love your man, Bloomy. Yeah, but he's from Oregon, which doesn't exactly garner much media attention. Well, neither does Rome, Georgia, but that's where Marjorie Taylor Greene is from. Okay, but by your logic, are you saying MTG garners the same attention because you think she's an attractive blonde woman? No, not the same thing at all. MTG's fame is derived from stalking people like AOC and survivors of school shootings, spreading conspiracies, shouting at other members of Congress and even the president, calling climate change a hoax, defending Donald Trump and saying the election was stolen. AOC made a name for herself by upsetting an establishment candidate in the Democratic Party and as part of the so-called squad, which ushered in a wave of both diversity and progressivism in Congress. Slightly different origin stories. So rationale for criticism on the right aside, what we're addressing today is the more recent trend of criticizing AOC on the left, the center left to the far left. A recent article in New York Magazine titled, AOC is just a regular old Democrat now, made the rounds in the liberal media establishment and found more than just a few nodding heads. Here's an excerpt. Typically, when I criticize Ocasio-Cortez, the response is not to argue that she has actually acted deftly as a politician, much less that she's demonstrated any consistency between her statements and her actions. Instead, I'm constantly told that the problem lies in expecting anything from her at all. Hey, she's just one congresswoman. She's hemmed in by her party and an undemocratic system. She's constrained by capitalism. Again and again, I've been told that asking Ocasio-Cortez for minimal ideological consistency or even worse, results, is simply asking too much." End quote. So the author builds a case by cherry-picking a few key moments in AOC's brief tenure thus far. How she cried at the sight of kids in cages at the border as a candidate and is now, according to the author, apparently mum on the issue under Biden, despite the continuation of several Trump-era border policies. Her bougie appearance at the Met Gala that almost broke the internet when she wore a dress that had taxed the rich emblazoned on the back of it. Her vote of present on the issue of funding Israel's Iron Dome and the tears she shed thereafter on social media. Her supposed acquiescence to Biden's interference in the railway strike earlier in the year. And the greatest sin of all, recently endorsing Biden for re-election on the Pod Save America podcast. These are the main points of contention, not only in this article, but often repeated by critics on the left. Fair enough. So let's take a look. The border crisis. Despite the criticism in this article, AOC is on record ripping the Biden administration for, quote, barbaric border policies and has repeatedly pressed the administration to do more and do better, including demands for pathways to citizenship, worker visas for asylum seekers, and even reparations for those harmed, among countless other statements, press conferences, and support for legislation, all of which was admittedly within the system. The Met Gala scandal. AOC created quite the stir by attending the Met Gala in her Tax the Rich dress. So much, in fact, that she's currently under investigation by the House Office of Congressional Ethics, investigating whether she failed to disclose gifts. The most updated reporting appears to center on whether her office took too long to reimburse vendors for any expense related to her attending, and not whether she pocketed any gifts. Whether you like or dislike the optics, her advocacy was certainly outside of the system, and handling of it is within. Funding Israel's Iron Dome. The decision to extend funding to Israel for its Iron Dome defense system has become a flashpoint among progressives. Any support for Israel, in fact, has become a litmus test for whether or not one can even be considered progressive. That's for another day. 
The particular critique around this measure was that AOC voted present rather than voting no. Afterwards, she expressed remorse at this decision, saying she was swept up in the controversy after begging leadership to delay the vote, which they declined. But I can see how that would enrage progressives. Curious though, how did other progressives that align with her record vote on this measure? Jamie Raskin, yay. Barbara Lee, yay. Earl Blumenauer, yay. Jamal Bowman, yay. Pramila Jayapal, yay. You get the fucking picture. Bottom line is you didn't hear about any of these other votes just hers. Quick note, there was another present vote on this matter. Hank, Guam might tip over, Johnson. Anyway, next up is the railway workers' strike. AOC joined with several other progressives to force a contract on the striking rail workers late last year. This is mostly true, though a bit more nuanced as there were two separate unions and few members seemed clear on the demands. AOC's stance was that she believed she was representing the path forward that the workers actually favored. But this was pretty hollow, and to me at least, remains the biggest hole in her progressive bona fides. It should be noted that many of the workers' demands were quietly met this summer, largely through back-channel efforts led by none other than Bernie Sanders. Bernie did it by working beyond the headlines and within the system. As for the endorsement of Biden, I don't know what to tell you. The Democratic field consists of self-help guru and author Marianne Williamson, who has never held elected office, and Robert Kennedy Jr., who has also never held elected office. And then there's Joe Biden, who currently holds elected office. Now, my feelings are pretty much on the record already regarding Williamson and Kennedy, so I won't rehash that here. The only other thing that AOC could have possibly done was announce her own candidacy for president. So let's tally this up. AOC continues to fight for immigration reform and better treatment for families at the border and within sanctuary cities. Her present vote was more of a statement than most other progressives made and wound up garnering more attention to the issue whether you want to admit it or not. She loses on the railroad strike, but as an acolyte of Bernie, who is in a much greater position of power to do these things, by the way, hopefully she took notes and sees what's possible as she grows. The Met Gala either offended your sensibilities with bad optics or it was just another promotional stroke of genius to attack the elite under their own noses. And just because Marianne Williamson has a progressive platform, that doesn't mean she's fit to run the country. RFK is an alt-right libertarian in disguise, and barely. And if you don't believe me on that, then explain his 14 and 88 tweet. Look it up. For a refreshing take on all AOC and the squad has accomplished, also take a look at the recent Jacobin article by Branko Marsetic or you can catch his appearance on Left Reckoning. I'll link both in the notes. The Jacobin isn't exactly a paragon of establishment media, by the way, which is why it deserves a look. But take all of this out of the equation. Forget the accomplishments, the missteps, the social media, the misogyny. Forget the criticism from the right. AOC could literally save a baby from a burning fire and Republicans would criticize her for not also putting it out. Forget the likes of Glenn Greenwald and Jimmy Dore. Glenn is a civil libertarian who fucking lives in Brazil, whose obsession with AOC stokes his base of incels. Dor is Glenn minus the intellect and South American compound, who's basically trying to be Glenn. If you're still listening to their critiques of the left, then you're wasting your time. But I will listen to Cornell West and Chris Hedges, both of whom have been fighting the left to do more, do better, and move further left. They've been consistent in their critiques of the left, to be sure but they've also been consistent in their dim view of politicians generally. 
So, uh, but I think we have to be clear uh, in terms of our understanding of how power works that these people have been emasculated and they've, they've shown it. Uh, they, they have decided that their political career is more important than confronting the monolith. And so they're not going to confront it. Now, this is a talking point that I've heard Hedges repeat quite often, that he has little faith in the political establishment and sitting politicians because they're subservient to power. And I get it. I have mixed feelings about Bernie. I think he's his commitment to the working class is real. I don't think any of that's fake. Um, but Bernie is the careerist and he is. Uh, and that goes all the way back to the Clintons. I mean, 96, he was campaigning for Bill Clinton after NAFTA. Mm. So he has decided to build this kind of Faustian relationship with the Democratic Party to protect himself. Okay, he gets what's the head of the banking committee. I guess that's what they gave him. I mean, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be my dream in life. <laughs> uh, but they, if, if he, look, I know, I, it's not even hypothetical because I w- was with Shama Sawant and Bernie and Bill McKibben and Naomi Klein. We were speaking together, all of us, the night before the climate march and Shama kept pushing Bernie to run as an independent. And, uh, and uh, you know, Bernie's final uh, answer was, I don't want to be Nader. I don't want, which was really saying, I don't want them to destroy me. Hedges has been more forgiving of right-wing demagoguery in the media space of late than I care for. But on policy and the role of the political class, I think he's been consistent his whole career. It's why I listen when he speaks and I read when he writes. But his criticisms of the political establishment and the careerism among members of the squad or Bernie fall flat for the same reasons I can't stand to hear criticism along the left spectrum. To be clear, I'm not saying we shouldn't be critical. Dissent is a right and we should hold political leaders to account, especially when there is so much rot and corruption. I think AOC, as our example today, should be held to account for how she and her colleagues played the railroad strike. But to broadly claim that AOC is a careerist or a sellout is so demonstrably false, it's absurd for the very reason that being a part of the American political system is a career. And sometimes it's not called selling out. It's called compromising. Now, I can sense the eye rolling, and I get it. Activists, pundits, demonstrators, protesters, we all get to be perfect in our beliefs and unassailable in exercising our right to dissent. That's the role of an agitator. But AOC was elected to be part of the system, not apart from the system. She was selected to do exactly what she's doing, building coalitions, learning, generating awareness, pulling the House caucus to the left and putting establishment Democrats on notice. And to say she's punching above her weight in doing these things is the understatement of the century. AOC has done more to educate young voters on how government works than every other sitting politician for precisely the reasons I enumerated above. She's bright, attractive, hardworking, and ubiquitous in traditional and social media. And she's done it all with a steel fucking rod in her back, considering the withering criticism she gets from all sides, not to mention death threats. You know, earlier in my career, I received a couple of those when I was a writer, and I can tell you, it's unsettling. Now imagine you're a young woman in today's culture, who's one of the most recognizable faces in America, walking around with the weight of that kind of pressure. In terms of her job, even Republicans concede 
that she's already one of the most prepared legislators and effective interrogators in all of Congress. Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez wasn't selected to be the protester-in-chief of the nation. She was elected to represent a district in New York as one of 435 representatives in the country, 535 between two houses. If you're looking for her alone to change the system or be right on every single issue that is important to you personally, that's a you problem. That's not her job. As a part of this messy system, her job is to be vocal, to raise awareness, to be on the right side of history and the left side of the establishment. In fact, nowhere is she more criticized than within the establishment Democratic Party because she's so good at her job. Her original sin was taking out one of their own. But that wasn't up to them. It was up to the voters in her district who continued to return her to her seat with astounding plurality. Before AOC and the squad, there was Bernie and Earl Blumenauer. They had no say, no seat at the table, no momentum. And then suddenly, things changed. And AOC became both the face and the lightning rod of the left movement, and she delivered with grace. Her voting record is at the furthest left of the spectrum, period. Not to mention AOC and the squad have done something even more important than deliver votes. They've modeled success and shown what's possible to millions of Americans who look just like them. Held working class jobs, built coalitions in their communities, done the hard work on the ground, like Summer Lee in Pennsylvania, and unlike Marianne Williamson or RFK Jr., They've demonstrated that you can work hard and make gains as people of color in a system designed for 400 years to oppress them. That is progress, which I might remind you is the root of progressivism. When Rosa Luxemburg challenged the establishment socialists of her time, she too built coalitions and fought within her parties. She challenged the likes of Kautsky in her home country and Lenin and Trotsky in Russia. She threw herself into the challenges of the day when it wasn't yet clear whether capitalism would survive, when there was a real opportunity for a socialist revolution from Russia to Latin America, and when it became clear that the Kautsky wing was settling for reforms and the Stalinist wing in Russia was authoritarian, she left the system to attack it from outside. And for this affront, she was murdered. And because she was a woman and a Jew, there were no statues put up of her likeness, no movies, no volumes of books about her struggles. Like many of her revolutionary contemporaries, she wasn't always right either. Even Trotsky, who wrote the full-throated defense of her, was critical of some of her beliefs. Now, AOC is no Rosa Luxemburg, but neither is United States, Germany in the early 1900s. See, capitalism has won the war, so new tactics are needed. This system isn't going to be torn down by any individual. There are no political parties, no industrial unions, no cooperatives or movements substantial enough to tear this down. Either it will, as some Marxists believe, ultimately tear itself down, or it will be taken over from within, as the other half of the Marxists believe. AOC, the squad, Bernie, the nearly 100 progressives in the Congress today, as opposed to just a handful a decade ago, are attempting to do the latter, and their gains are measurable. They've chosen a revolutionary path that is 1,000 times more difficult than being an armchair warrior. Now, it's not sexy, but it's a lot more effective than being shot in the head at point-blank range and thrown in a river. 
I admire the minds and hearts of Trotsky and Luxembourg, martyrs, both. But I prefer to keep AOC right where she is, our woman on the inside. Here endeth the lesson. It's the end of the episode where we used to do show notes. Now we just talk through a few things. Reflect on what was said or what we should have done instead. Oh, post-show musings. We don't normally do post-show musings on a topical cream. And I also know everybody still hates the name topical cream, but... It's a pod listener's dream. It is. Tom McGovern shared a really fun... I had an awesome year. I saw Post. that. I, that. We weren't on it, though. <laughs> like, I know. What the hell, man? What the fuck? I know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> he really is just, it's like watching your son grow up. I know. He's, he's, he's left the nest. He did. he's flying. Yeah. I just thought it would be weird to do, you know, part of this is a feminist take on AOC, and I thought it would be weird to do it sitting here with 99 and then not interject with 99 at the end of it. Uh, my first question to you is one of the hot takes up top that I tried to backstop, you know, that I tried to, you know, prove, but it's part of the thesis as to why she's so popular is that she is aesthetically pleasing and has a great presence in front of the camera. She's just sort of like tailor made for the media culture. How does that land with you, though? Um, It feels part cheap, but also mostly true. And I think justified by benchmarking her against the accomplishments or lack thereof of her. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like what else could explain it? It's like, to me, it's a double-edged sword because if she were quote-unquote ugly, then that's what they would, they would call her a troll or they would call, they would say mean things about her that way. I don't know if they would talk about her uh, at all. Think about, I mean, this is not nice, but think about Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was called ugly very often because people, it's the same reason... Trump getting arrested, everyone's focused on his weight because. But, uh, Sarah's good, uh, a good comparison, though. She was as the White House spokesperson in that role. They had no we had no choice but to look at her and only her as the representative of the White House. And then she's a governor now, mm-hmm. which is she's not one of 535. She didn't. She represents an entire state, not just a really small district in, you know, Nobody was talking about Joe Crowley before, right? right. So that's why I, I feel like, or, so if she's not attractive, I don't, I don't think she just gets the... Uh, she's still young, Latina, and vocal. So if you take that piece out of it... She's Summer Lee, who's also beautiful. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, well, beauty's subjective. So not everyone's going to find her beautiful, so the, the part when when you were talking about her being attractive, like, obviously, I think she's, well, I can't say, I personally, obviously, nope, but I think she is beautiful. But what I was also thinking is the what, you know, hit my ear, as you would say, is she's beautiful in the mainstream way. She is right. classically mainstream media beautiful. Right. She's built, she's built for this media culture. Right. And I don't know if I was nuanced enough about that. She's, it. I think you just said it perfectly. Perfect. So it's really, it's almost something we can never know. You know, we, she's from New York. So one of the bigger states, she is sort of a leader in the squad. So if it had been another squad member in her place, we might've seen the same thing. 
just with the roles reversed in terms of if it was, you know, a different race. Well, we know why Ilhan Omar gets the flack that she gets. Exactly. Um, I think Jayapal beats it for the most part. I don't think people think about her. I, I, if we polled a hundred people on the street, I think AOC gets like 80 out of a hundred be like, yeah, of course, you know, the other 20 just are on another planet, I guess. I don't (laughs) know. Um, I was trying to look for notoriety polls and I saw one that said that she had like 80%, 87% recognition, which feels right to me from young to old. I feel like Fox News has given her the, you know, the coverage on the on the older part of the demographic. But young people know her on social media because they're following so robust. So I, I feel like that tracks. But outside of like, you know, Barack Obama and Donald Trump and I don't know, Hillary Clinton and a few other like really, really prominent names, most people would struggle for that kind of recognition on the street. Yeah. I also, I just, you know, the thing, one of the things that really does get me is like, and she's doing it all in the face of true, like, danger. And, and that's not hyperbolic. Like, this is a woman who, who exists in constant danger. Yeah. I mean, if you remember, what was that, six months ago when I had a friend who went to her town hall? Right. Yep. And people were accosting her there. Yeah. And my friend was sitting there, like, Watching it happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the resolve that you have to have to continue to stand up for your principles. Like the writer of that piece, I get it. I really do get it. Like we're constantly looking at these people and just screaming, do better. But then do better in in what? In, in what system? But also, you know, you walk that path and, and see what that's like. See what it's like to have people lined up at your door every fucking day in Congress looking for something if whatever is important to you multiply that literally by 320 million because that's we each have something that's like really fucking like is a red line for each one of us and we want that person to stand for those things it's an impossible ask yeah the piece you pulled from the article i I haven't read it full disclosure but it resonated with me because i'm i'm guilty but i don't also always feel guilty about it of being we have so few people to look up to these days that if somebody does a misstep or there's a transgression, I think my age group, at least people like me, my friend, I'll say, you know, my <laughs> social matches that people I know, we're very quick to just pull our support, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's uh, just word of mouth support, whether we're, you know, monetarily supporting someone somehow by buying their merch or subscribing to their podcast, whatever. Right. We're so quick and it's because people are so disappointing. I mean, you see like Alice Cooper the other day goes off on an anti-trans tirade. Really? Yep. I mean, it wasn't as like, I'm not going to say it was as volatile as other people have been, but he was like, we don't need all this, whatever. And so, you know, not that I was a huge Alice Cooper fan, but now I know it's not something I'm going to support or someone was like, hey, want to go see Alice Cooper? I'm going to be like, probably not. So our lines are very thin because people are, are breaking or crossing those lines all the time. So we so desperately, or speaking for myself, I so desperately want to have this model hero, someone who does not make any mistakes, who is always voting for the right things to me, Mm -hmm. what I deem to be the right things. I want that. Mm -hmm. So when there is a transgression, you go, fuck, here's another one. And you feel that urge to just pull back. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's appropriate, Mm -hmm. depending on what line it is. And sometimes, I think especially with politicians, we do have to stop and remember, all right, what's the bigger picture here? If she voted for like 
uh, nuclear war, I'd be like, all right, maybe this isn't my person anymore. Yeah. But if there's some, you know, interpersonal or inner uh, caucus issue and uh, compromise going on, like I'm also not as schooled on that. So sometimes I do have to look to people to like give me a more educated take or a more nuanced take. So it's hard. It's hard it's to like, know. You know, when people talk about any competition, and I think people forget that this this is a competition and there's there's levels to it. They're competing against the Republicans who have an equal stake in this just by the numbers. And they're competing against the establishment within. And the establishment is really skilled. I mean, really skilled. I think there are some instances early in the squad's formation where they just got beat. Like straight up, just beat the establishment was better at this game than they were. Just like Bernie's been beaten as the most consistent member of our political class, perhaps in the history of the mm -hmm. fucking Republic. Yeah. He's the same guy as he's always been. And the defeats that he suffered over the years, probably beaten to the punch, is innumerable. And then you look at this railways. And the reason I, I thought the railway strike was such an important moment for, for in defining this piece, but in defining the progressive movement is because I think they did fuck up. I think they got beat. And I think Bernie was seasoned enough to say behind closed doors, you fucked that up. This isn't great. I'm going to fix it, but pay attention. And he did. He didn't fix all of it, but he fixed most of the measures that people were looking at. And he did it really quietly you don't see him out there beating his chest. If you interview him and ask him about it, he'd be like, yeah, sure, I did that. <laughs> but, you know, he's not... Mainstream media's moved past it. We're all we're all over it. You have to really dig deep through the left publications to find people talking about it right now. But it goes to show you that change can happen within this system. Our job, our only job right now as progressives is to continue to mount the challenge from within to drag the party to the left. That's it. It's all we can do. Just as we were saying that she's only one vote. That's not an attack. It's not a defense. It's a fact. It's just she's a vote. So when you attack her record, and yet she is on the absolute furthest left of the left spectrum on voting records... That's unassailable to me. Take that off the table. You can't you can't criticize her for that. If she missed a couple of things that were super important to you, maybe, maybe, just maybe, she got beat. What she also does, though, is she offers full transparency to the public. After every one of these things, she has taken to social media, invited people in, made the talk show rounds, and addressed the public, addressed them in public forums at, at town halls, and said... Yeah, fuck that up. Or, well, here's what we were trying to accomplish. This didn't work out. I'm still hopeful for the future. Here's what I'm doing to work on that thing inside this political system. If you're if you're counting on her to be a baby, which is what a baby would do and, and just scream and cry and yell and not attend meetings or, or go, you know, or, or vote for things. If that's what you if that's what you think defiance is. OK then you should be asking her to do a different job. But if you want her to show up, she also, and I didn't include this in the piece, shows up more than her colleagues. She's more present at votes 
than the rest of Congress. She's on that far, that end of the spectrum as well. And she's present in her community. She could not fucking do more. The Amazon thing, right? Mm -hmm. People are like, oh, she's fucking killing big business, killing it. She heard her community. When Amazon wanted to go into her district, she said, thanks, no thanks. A, I don't need to pay you to come here. Why the fuck would anybody do that? You don't need subsidies. You're the most profitable company in the world. B, not that's not true. Apple is, but you're one of the Walmart. biggest companies in the world, right? B, we don't need more jobs. I know this is a strange thing to say, but we all have jobs. We don't want your jobs. Furthermore, <laughs> we don't need warehouse jobs if we were to bring in jobs. We have those already. What we need is housing. And everybody from around the, oh, she's killing big business. She's the death of it. Hang it. Governor Cuomo hung that on her, for Christ's sake, right? And she said, I'm doing my job because that's what my district elected me to do. And she was right there. So she's wrong, you know, if she's doing something for her district. She's wrong if she's not saving the fucking planet. It's just amazing what we hang around one woman's shoulders. I've It's 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 honestly it's one of the most like astounding stories to me that that anybody could be super critical of her on the left. Forget fucking Jimmy Dore. Forget these guys that just they they're so obsessed with her because she she gets ratings. They, they talk about her. Her numbers go up and more people hate her. The more people hate her, you know, the more the incel community just loves that shit. Like that's not that's not critique. Yeah. The misogyny is top billing, I think, because if we if AOC was a man, but everything else were the same there would not be this level of scrutiny. There'd still be racism. So that was my original subhead for this was uh, the misogyny of the left, but it didn't tell enough of the story. But maybe it, maybe it, I don't know, maybe it does. Me, I would pull that only because I think there's a bigger story there and to explore more misogyny, <laughs> you know, like this would just be scratching the surface. There's so much more yeah. that happens. I mean, it could just be the misogyny of politics. Like, I mean, that, that would be... That would be a longer series than socialism. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's just people can't stand powerful women. It's it's like an epidemic. It's mm-hmm. a pandemic. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for letting me get it out on fuckers. I hope that that uh, offered something of value into the conversation. Yeah. And I, I, sorry to cut you off. I implore our more, a centrist is, is too strong of a word, but our, our more center listeners to like really take stock of the situation because I do think our more center listeners probably agree with that article. Yeah. And think yeah. that she's she's just one of the people or maybe center is the wrong, what, what, what word well, should again, I be using instead? But also it, it, it's okay to dissent. It's okay to attack a stance on an issue like the rail worker strike. Totally valid criticism. Even the Met Gala thing. That's a valid criticism because are those the optics that we want to display? Was that enough? Was that actually a subversive enough act? I, we can debate it. I think, I mean, I know you're not you're not opening the debate right now, but just I think it's not, subver- it's not subversive enough for people already on the left, but for the millions of people who tune in and watch the YouTube live stream. It's the Barbie argument. And go, who is this? It's its the feminism 101 argument. Like, yeah. People need entry points into these things. I think it was, I think it was, it was expertly executed. No one else could have done it. No. And no one else would have been asked. And that's, that's the whole thing of it. Yeah. This is a New York icon now mm-hmm. in a New York institution. Yeah. 
No, it's a great point. It, it, and and again, it's that in and of itself, you can have a fulsome debate you get about any of these individual things. When you put just a handful of them together and then just put a broad stroke on it and say, oh, she's part of the establishment now. I'm sure you it's could- It's so lazy and disingenuous, it's yeah. maddening. I'm sure you could look at Bernie and find his mistakes that oh he's my God, made and do 100%. the same thing. Yeah. You can do it with anybody and you can do it. We've done it with Trump. We said, here are the things he actually got right during his tenure that actually improved, few and far between, but there were a handful of things that just happened to work out. Right. So it's like, you know, I guess it's just being discerning enough and reading between the lines, which is what I think our own fuckers do anyway. But, you know, it's an open letter to the people who are writing this narrative. Well, if it opens up more conversation, um, I'm happy to have it. And uh, let us know your thoughts and give us your feedback on it. Let's get our own as a phone a friend. Yeah, that would be, uh, <laughs> that's bucket list. Certainly bucket list. I think she'd do it. I do too. I do too. She wouldn't be turned off by unfucking the Republic. I don't think that would be her no, problem. No, I think it would turn her on. It might be a little bit of a problem for her handlers initially. They might be like, what? She's but, done worse things. You know. <laughs> Tax the rich. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. All right. Um, that's it for now. No big sign off. We'll catch you later on, fuckers. Holy shit, it's her. Uh, <laughs> Bubba Boom. My precious AOC. She's almost as beautiful as Rosario Dawson. Good Lord, Alexandria. You look sensational. Hey, yo, it's me. You know, AOC, getting out respect from Fox or CNN, even NBC. What's a girl got to do to pass some legislation to feed the poor and save the nation, give away health care education? Is this seat taken? Because I'm coming through. Crowley gave up his. Maybe you should, too. Don't like my dress, Mitch? Because my ass attacks the rich. Pass the mustard filibuster. I'm a baddest fucking bitch. I got a squad. You got squad. Just a bunch of old white dudes protecting what you got. My wave is blue. And it's title. So it's vital that you fund the social welfare, we're entitled. Ayanna Presley, Jaya Paul, Corey Bush, and Jamie Raskin, Ro Connor, Barbara Lee, Katie Porter, kick your ass. We got the numbers to send a message. Your time is up with the progressives. Yeah. I'll have what she's having.